Welcome, everybody. We have been out for a very long time, but we are back. Ben Kane, Marvin Agueta in the Final Whistle podcast. Ben, it's been a long time, but we're back at it. it it's been a it's been a long time, and it seems like there hasn't been much soccer going on, but the results are there. That's the thing. Like, there's not many games going on, but we have a ton of good results to talk about today. A ton of predictions. So it's gonna it's gonna be a very good episode. I'm very excited. I mean, the last time we were having our podcast, the U.S. made the World Cup. Barcelona losing. Real Madrid coming back in the Champions League. We saw so many games in the Premier League, and then we saw a rivalry between Guardiola and club yet again. Another episode of, of what they do at the highest level, and we have so much storylines to get into. So let's start, Ben, because it's going to be a huge game. Manchester United, Liverpool. I would say a game that used to be talked about as one of the big rivalries in the English Premier League. A little different now, but what's your kind of prediction for this matchup between Liverpool and Manchester United? So it's it's really interesting. I have the table pulled up on my side right now because obviously Liverpool, one point behind Manchester City in the league. They don't have any games in hand, which is, if you're a City fan, it's very good. You do not want yeah. Liverpool hovering with the game behind you. So Liverpool just like something about them, especially when we watch, which we'll talk about later, the FA Cup game with Man City, the way they've pass the ball lately is something we have not seen from Liverpool in a long time. seems like they're slowly and surely kind of getting that. Okay. If he passes the ball here, I need to move here. It's like, we talk about a lot. It's like the counteractive versus, uh, or like counteractive versus reactive passing where they're right. moving so well off the ball now that they're just unplayable. Um, and United, especially in a team that's, doesn't have an identity right now as a group. They're just relying on a few players here and there to really lift them up. It's going to be a cakewalk for Liverpool. I think I'm going to go like four nothing. Honestly, I really don't see United doing anything good in this game. For me, you know, coming in, I was watching the Liverpool City game. We'll get into that kind of even itself talking about Liverpool. And I think one of the players that stood out for me is Thiago Alcantara, who I think has kind of turned up a level. As you mentioned, the way they pass now is completely different kind of now than previous Liverpool teams. You know, Thiago is a player that, you know, likes to play in the ball. We used to see a Liverpool team that mostly, you know, did a lot of high press. Even You even see a Liverpool team kind of evolve to kind of a different style because I guess you could say in ways that helps its team now and also because, you know, eventually, you know, if you play the same way, teams will eventually catch up to you. So you have to evolve. And we've seen that with Jurgen Club and Liverpool. And when you see now Thiago coming back, and he's been playing at a very high level. And, you know, Jota, a player, I think Luis Diaz, you know, that uh, we had before who's been terrific. The Liverpool front line is absolutely loaded. And in the midfield as well, you know, some of the players, Keita, Jones, uh, obviously Henderson, Fabinho, you know, those players have all played well. And then obviously you know, having the experience in this matchup against Manchester United, though, I will say the only reason why I give them a slight chance in the matchup is because for one player only, and that is Cristiano Ronaldo. He scored a hat-trick during the weekend. It was terrific to see him score again, but yet it was against Norwich. But he's a player, Ben, if I'm not mistaken, he's a player that, in at least my opinion, could still make a difference in the game. 
And potentially he could do something against this Liverpool because he could, might have some plenty of chances knowing Liverpool is going to have the possession and that Manchester United would probably be a team on the counter and potentially Ronaldo could have some opportunities. So for me, I got to go with Liverpool. As you talked about, yes, they're still raced for the title in the Premier League. They understand also they want to win the FA Cup because this is so important for them. And they want to try to attempt to win the treble, you know, the Champions League, the Premier League, and the FA Cup. So we'll see what happens. But I still have Liverpool as favorites. The one thing I will ask is we've talked a lot about this Liverpool midfield. That is, is, is it Thiago, Fabinho, Harvey Elliott, Navicata, Henderson? Who, in your mind, is their best starting three? I think it's a debate that's been happening, especially now that Liverpool are becoming this elite team and they're pushing City every game. Who is Liverpool's ideal starting midfield? I, I can go first. If, if I'm trying to think of – I would say it's a weird one because I personally, I, if I'm Liverpool, I think they don't need as much defensively as they do going forward. So I would say you need to play a holding midfield and you can play two a bit more creative. So I would probably go – it's going to shock a lot of people. I would not put Henderson in there at all. I don't think Henderson is the type of player that – fits in this Liverpool thing, a system. If it right. wasn't because he was captain, he if he was not captain, I don't think he'd get a sniff in this team. So I'd go Fabinho and then probably like if if Harvey Elliott was healthy and playing well, I'd go Harvey Elliott. But right, right. now I would say Yago and honestly Nabi Kate on the other side. I think they bring some creativity and especially Tiago, like you mentioned, can play more of a 10 than a traditional eight, which is kind of what we've seen him play for most of his career. So yeah. you get the likes of a defensive player in Fabinho, a traditional eight in Abby Keita, and then a little bit more forward, Thiago, who can pull those strings, especially for Salah and Mane on his wings, where he can just play it down the line or kind of dink them through like we saw against City. So if, if you're asking me, that's my idea of mid- midfield for Liverpool. I don't know what you think about that. You know, I, again, this is going to be a game that we might see rotations. I don't know. I think we probably see Liverpool starting lineup, especially what we saw in the FA Cup where, you know, we saw City kind of do some rotations and Liverpool for the most part didn't, but also have players that could still kind of come in like Luis Diaz. I wouldn't be surprised in the midfield trio, they would go with their full strength. So I would go Henderson, Thiago, Fabinho. And I mean, yes, I actually would agree. And I think a lot of people have talked about kind of the way Henderson has played. I think if he wasn't captain, he wasn't part of Liverpool before the way he was. I think he potentially would be dropped. Um, I don't think he's having the season quite like we've seen previously. But again, he's an experienced player, as we've seen kind of the way some of these <laughs> players have aged. You know, I think sometimes experience matters. So I'll keep Henderson for the back line. I'll probably go. I think you still go full strength. So I'll go yeah. Matic. Uh, I'll go Van Dyke, Robinson, Trent Alexander-Arnold. It's I'll interesting you don't have Kanate in there. I would put Kanate over Matip any day. Um, Kanate is <laughs> a good player. I, I'm not sure he's still not. I think he's a good player for set pieces. He's scoring a lot of goals early on, but he's had some mental laps defensively. So okay. for me, I would – I mean, he is a player that I think, you know, in those kind of FA Cup games, maybe you could put roll the dice – but if you're playing against United, it potentially potentially could be, for me, a risk. So I would put Matic, Van Dyde as your starting pair lineup. Interesting. All right. 
Hey, we'll see what happens. But I think this is going to be a good game. But my prediction, by the way, I'll go Liverpool as well. I think they're going to win the game 3-1. And I think they will continue to show what they can do uh, in the Premier League title race. It's going to be quite interesting. But, Ben, let us continue to talk about some of the games that happened this weekend. First start with Manchester United. Norwich, Cristiano Ronaldo, as I mentioned before, scores a hat-trick. United win the 3-2 in Manchester United Canes. They're not kind of talking a lot. And Arsenal, the biggest surprise for me, losing it against Southampton. Arsenal really have been shambles, honestly, losing three straight and just are, are losing their form and losing their, uh, uh, I guess, their way into the top four to get into Champions League football. And then for Spurs, they lost as well to Brighton in 90th minute. A lot of people said, you know, it was kind of controversy, but Spurs had zero shots on target. I mean, Ben, it's going to be a huge race. It's basically winner take over the top four right now. I mean, what, what's happened? I don't know. I really don't know what is happening with all these teams. Yeah. (laughs) Cause like, okay, Chelsea, Chelsea, looking at the table right now, they have two games on Spurs, two games on United, one on Arsenal. So, and they're already three points ahead. Chelsea right. are fine. I don't think you have to really have to talk about Chelsea getting in the Champions League. You go down the list and you look at Tottenham at fifty-seven points, right? Man United right. at fifty-four, and Arsenal at fifty-four. But Arsenal have that game in hand. I don't know what's happening with Arsenal. Like, and it's it stinks because they've been this team all year where they've defined the odds where they were playing bad at the beginning of the season, they went 0-3, obviously, and they let in, like, nine goals. Yeah. And then it was just this renaissance of Mikel Arteta finally figuring it out. It's not that they lack a, a passion. It's just, like, things just aren't going their way, not in terms of, like, oh, a ball kind of skips in. It's just, like, the results they should have, for some reason, just don't go their way. And you look at well, – pull up Arsenal, especially. There's a lot of – Injuries and rotation within this Arsenal team where you don't have Lacazette in, you don't have Thomas Partey, you've most likely lost Kieran Tierney for the rest of the year. So you're seeing Eddie and Katia starting, Cedric Soares, who was a player from Southampton for a while, and as well as you have um, Lakanga, who I, sorry, I haven't started on Lakanga. I don't think he's <laughs> that good, but just Arsenal had it. They had it in their hands and they're slowly letting it slip away from yeah. them, which stinks. Um, and then you go back to United as well, where yes, they won on paper. You see a Cristiano Ronaldo hat trick and a three, two win. They were tied too, too, at a certain point, they needed yeah. Ronaldo to step up. You can't rely on Ronaldo anymore. It's like, he's only going to be there for what another year. Yeah. Maybe two. And even that. And by the way, you- they do have a new manager that it's been confirmed yes. from Fabrizio uh, Romano is that Eric Tanaha is going to be the new Manchester United manager. So we don't know if he wants Cristiano Ronaldo part of his team next season. Yeah, like that's, I don't know. I just, you can't rely. When was the last time you saw a team successful relying on one player? You look at the likes of Crystal Palace for like three or four years. Wilfred Zaha was that guy. And he just barely kept them up like, if you're pushing for a Champions League spot, you can't rely on just Ronaldo. Um, but like, like I said, like Anthony Alanga had a great game. He's a player you can slowly start to build off on. So I think just a lot of things that where teams just either are in an Arsenal situation, it's not going their way. Tottenham just stink. 
Like they just plain and simple, they stink. Um, or United just can't figure out who else to play around. So it's going to be an interesting t- uh, top four finish. I really do think though, if Man City or Liverpool win the Champions League, I think West Ham are going to win the Europa League. I think it's, I, I have a good feeling about it. So I yeah. think what would happen is the fourth slot wouldn't get Champions League, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the both teams win. I was reading something. If both teams win, yeah, they wouldn't get it. So potentially none of these teams can be in the Champions League next year. That would be really <laughs> funny. for <laughs> really, really funny. But, I mean, that would be quite – I think I have to look that up because it used to be five, so they would allow five. Yeah. I think that rule has changed now. But, I um, mean, we could check it out and kind of – make sure that rule is correct but i'm pretty sure it's four as you said but looking at the tables i'm looking at their scheduling arsenal as you mentioned had this they lost three straight this was their they had full control of top four they were playing well and losing three straight i mean i it's unbelievable i did not expect this from an arsenal team i really thought this team would have found the found its way and would get into Champions League football because obviously Spurs and Manchester United had so much going on, but yet they found a way to be Arsenal of old. And they just reminded us of some of the things that they had struggled previously, especially to start the season. Yes, some injuries has happened, but I mean, Arsenal, they're going to look back and saying we had a chance to get into Champions League football. I mean, that would have been just a fantastic season for what they were. I mean, now it's like they just probably, I mean, it's still in their hands, but sort of not. Because look at their schedule right now. They play Chelsea, Manchester United, West Ham, Leeds United, Spurs. That's their next five games before they play Newcastle and then Everton in their final fixture. That's a hard schedule. That is very hard. And I was looking at Manchester United's schedule a little different. As we talked about Liverpool, Manchester United, then they play Arsenal, then they play Chelsea, then they play Brentford, then they play Brighton, and then Crystal Palace. A little easier. And then looking at Spurs' schedule, they play Brentford, Leicester City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Burnley, Norwich. Out of those three teams, out of those three teams that I mentioned, their schedule, Arsenal has the hardest. So yeah. they had it in their hands. I don't think they're going to get into the top four based on schedule. And I think for me, Manchester United probably have the best chances to get into Champions League football based on schedule. And I think still they have the best talent out of the rest of those two teams that we mentioned. But man, Arsenal, I mean, that's probably for me the biggest story of of what happened this weekend. And I, I do think Arsenal, if they really, tr- it's still theirs to lose. I still right. think they're the team that needs to slip up in order for someone else to get in. Um, but, so they have a very difficult schedule. So how they get, like how they get these results, especially when they have injuries, like we talked about, and yeah. it's going to be really, Leicester's another team you brought up, I think is really interesting where they have nothing to play for this season anymore. So what do their games look like for the rest of the season? Cause we saw them lose to Newcastle this weekend in the 94th minute to a yeah. Mirror. So it's just, it's just really weird. It's a weird season. I'm just, just, I'm, I'm happy to watch the league. I think the league's in a good place. I, yeah, I guess I could say that we're, 
we're witnessing a lot of changes and hopefully we could see more changes come in because I think we're in a good place though. If we're talking pure storylines, which right now the Premier League has many storylines, but it, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, it seems like every week we're just getting something new. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, let's, let's move on to the FA cup because we had some games going on, Ben. I know the team you're probably thinking about is Manchester City against Liverpool. And our the American Zach Steffen had an opportunity to kind of prove to maybe doubters that he potentially could still be the number one. But he did a couple mistakes, costly, I would say. And Liverpool would win the game 3-2. So, I mean, let's first start there. Manchester City, a team that looked very, very dominant and now starting to see some signs of vulnerability. What do you think, Ben? So I first of all, I would like to preface this saying in terms of Zach Steffen, obviously he did have that mistake. I th- think it's very difficult for goalkeepers nowadays who like to pass first right. when they do mess right. up because we've seen Ed- I mean, we've seen Ederson the week before clear a goal above his line because he messed up but it didn't go in. So we're not talking about that, but it's very hard for goalkeepers to escape criticism when stuff like this happens. But I think Pep Guardiola summed it up best saying Zach Steffen was not a pass first goalkeeper. We saw him in Columbus. We saw him in Dusseldorf, all these teams where he was just getting the ball and clearing it. And you're trying to mold him into this player that he was never, and he's done so well so far. So one, one small mess up, isn't the end of the world for a goalkeeper who's still learning, who's still progressing. And he has become a really good passing goalkeeper. So uh, it's the city. This wasn't city's game. It was not city's game either way. Um, Going down three, nothing is not man city esque and having to try to claw your way back in. And the last time I think we saw it was probably against Liverpool in the champions league a few years ago when city went down four to one, I believe. And they had to slowly come back in the second leg. So I don't know. So you look at the stats, City, three shots on target, and they did not have the majority of the possession. So Jack Grealish scores. Jack Grealish scores. I mean, we have the heavily criticized. Jack Grealish. <laughs> We've heavily criticized on this podcast. But in the end, I don't mind. This, this is terrible to say. I don't mind losing the FA Cup if it means City's focus is strictly on the Premier League and the Champions League. Right. Um, I think – the FA cup now for city has become one of those things where it's kind of hindering them from stepping up and doing another tournament because they have to play all of these games in order to like make the finals of every single cup. So pulling themselves out of the FA cup, isn't the worst thing. Obviously they didn't pull themselves up. They got knocked out, but it, it, the city was never going to win. And I'm okay saying Liverpool were the better team on this day. I think what we noticed, and I think we talked about this, I think Liverpool's, has a little more better depth than City, at least when it comes to the front line. You know, I, I think you talked about Grealish. I think he's a player that that's usually is struggling adapting. I saw his numbers. I mean, he's really struggled to compare what he did previously with Aston Villa. You know, Jesus is a player that as well has really struggled. And Liverpool, their front line rotation is a little bit better right now. They have Jota, as we talked about before, Luis Diaz. They have Mane, they have Salah. I mean, they're from me. Rigi, 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 Rigi. I mean, he, he doesn't get playing. I mean, he's a still player that, yes, even then, he's still part of this rotation, even though he's probably in 
really last of the depth chart. But even Minamino, sorry to cut Minamino's you off. is another player that we haven't talked about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a player too. So, but I think we're starting to notice as well that, you know, Kevin DeBrunner was on the bench. He did come in later, but we also see some, I think City's depth once upon a time was probably it's one of its biggest strengths. I don't think that's the case anymore. And as we saw, they tried to kind of play some rotations. It didn't work against a team like Liverpool. And we saw City get paid. Yeah. I think City, the depth you're talking about, I think they peaked 2018-19. Yeah. They had yeah. Son and they had Sterling and then they had Mares. They had Bernardo Silva on the wing. They had all these guys where you could like what Pep's doing now. I don't know if you watch his games. He'll yeah. play with, I think it's Sterling and Grealish and then it's Jesus and Marex, but he doesn't yeah. like to play them intermingled. Like it's got to be those two sets. Whereas years before, he could throw in Marez and Sane or Sterling and Sane, which was their primary pairing. So yeah. he had all these options where now he's just kind of doing the same things with lesser players. So he is lacking a lot of depth there, um, especially in defense as well. Like having to rely on Nathan Ake to play left back and Almeric Laporte to play left back. Um, it's not yeah. what you want, especially in a big time game like this. So Depth is a big thing that we're starting to see from City, and it's starting to get exposed where now teams come in and say, okay, if Jesus is hurt, who's going to play up top? Like right. That's something that needs to get fixed coming into next season. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, but that was a huge win for Liverpool. Again, trying to find their way to get into the treble, but let's also talk about Chelsea because they had so much going on as well. They played against Crystal Palace, and we saw some performances Yes, Chelsea advancing. Love this cheek. It's back, baby, as you talked about. He got a win. Chelsea got a win. And they move on to the finals. So, Ben, what was your takeaway from, from Chelsea's huge win over Palace? Obviously, lost his cheek. I, I don't think I've talked about this, but I've actually, um, when he tore his ACL, I was at the game. Mm. Uh, they played my New England Revolution. Shout out the Red. They won this weekend. Wow. Uh, but so I was at the game when he did it, and I just – the look on his face, like he knew immediately. And then it was just, it's been so up and down from Crystal Palace to Fulham he was even at. Um, so it's good to see him back in the score sheet, um, playing at his best because he is on his day, one of the best midfielders in the Premier League in terms of a box-to-box kind of eight player. But my real takeaway on this, Timo Werner, a player that has been so heavily criticized. He gets the assist on Mason Mount school, but he brings, he is... When you looked at Timo at Leipzig, you were like, this guy, he's a, like, he is a striker. He's a world-class striker. Comes to Chelsea, is not bad at all, as we all know. Pushes him out to the wing, and that's where he shines. He has been so good when he gets these opportunities to play. Obviously, he scored a few weeks ago in multiple games. So, Timo Werner slowly stepping up to be what we thought he was going to be. Um, which is awesome to see. Uh, so I, I, it's a good game for Chelsea. Obviously, c- congratulations, Crystal Palace, under a new manager, getting to the semifinals of the FA Cup. We have to kind of mention that. Jack Butler oh, yeah. as well, also. Jack Butler's return to the FA Cup is pretty cool. Um, I think one of the other storylines as well, quickly, is Connor Gallagher does not get to play. Um, Interesting. Uh, I kind of... I don't know really, what your thoughts on that are. I'm, I mean, the Gallagher... That rule, I think, is BS. I think that's a horrible rule. I think just because I loan you and I can't play against you, I mean, I guess maybe it's because you're playing against – it's your home, technically, team. But 
I'm just I don't get that rule because because especially like those kind of I would say important players that you can't play. It's all kind of the result, but I mean that's the decision we see a lot in England. We see see it the opposite in Spain, though. You know, we see some of these players play against some of these teams and they actually play well. So I understand on the other side of the decision not to play them because they could <laughs> impact the game. I was gonna mention. James Rodriguez for Bayern Munich back in the day when he got loaned out and then he stunned as well as Philip Coutinho when he was on Bayern Munich where he stuns them. So the rule is there and teams can kind of decide if they Quite want to use that. Yeah, It's crazy. Um, especially a player who you don't know if Chelsea are ever going to get back to that stage or if he's yeah. going to be Chelsea to get to that stage. So pulling that experience away from him, it must suck. And if I was him, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I'm going back to Chelsea in two months. Is this really where I want to be? It, it's so interesting, this whole situation that's happening right now. Obviously, I might be thinking too much about it, but it's so interesting. Quite interesting. Unbelievable. It's going to be a rule that I, I, I think, obviously, goes back and forth. But, I mean, huge, huge props to Chelsea, as you talked about. I think, yeah, we talk about Warner, and he was a player that coming in, we thought he was going to be this player, and obviously it didn't work out. His finishing was a an issue and I think he's found himself I think he found himself a secondary role that I think could suit him and maybe he can find his confidence because I think that was the problem when he was missing so many chances he just lacked so much confidence and I think we what we saw in the Bundesliga was completely of a different player so this could help him and this could help Chelsea I think Chelsea right now would love to win a trophy let's see if they can do that against Liverpool you know, after what's happened this whole season, we still don't know what's, who's going to be the new owner uh, of Chelsea coming up. So I think right now, Chelsea, momentum, they continue to play well. And obviously a, a clap to Chelsea to what they did against Real Madrid, but which we'll get into next on our next segment. Um, but kudos to Chelsea, continue to win, continue to, to kind of show class and, you know, throughout this difficult period for the club. But um Kudos also to Patrick Vieira, former manager of a New York City FC, who's really changed kind of the identity of Crystal Palace, as you talked about. But huge win for Chelsea, and, and we'll see a nice final between Liverpool and Chelsea later on. I'm not looking forward to that. That's <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be back much more right after this. Coming back, La Liga, I mean, Ben, insane games we got to talk about Real Madrid not only did they come back against Chelsea which I am still recovering from and I still have a lot to talk about <laughs> I have to talk about this game that happened yesterday Real Madrid come back against Sevilla yet again Ben yet again down two nothing in the first half Sevilla at home dominating playing well second half completely different story come back and yet again Karim Benzema, player everybody's talking about, gets another winner for Real Madrid. I mean, insane game. Ben, the floor is yours. So it's just wow. Like, we, people, I think people have to realize as well that Sevilla are one of the teams trying to push Real Madrid, trying to give them a little bit of competition heading the league. And they've just, they've like blown the doors off. They go down to nothing, they come back. I think, like you said, the biggest thing takeaway for me, especially we've seen the whole week, Kareem Benzema is the best player in the world right now. I don't think there's 
any debate. I don't, I give me a name in a sec, but I think there's no debate that he is the best player in the world. He's just been so clinical and it's insane because when you're on, when you're at the top of the league, when you're up in a champions league game, it's so hard to get in your head and say, I'm comfortable where I am. And then things don't go your way and you're on the back foot. Like we saw in this game against Sevilla. And for him to come out and like, it, it just takes a different type of breed, a player that I, it's like the last time I could have saw this would have been like an Aguero or Wayne Rooney, like mm-hmm. this type of player where right. getting their head, they're like, I need to be the impact on this team. And they do it. So I, I'll, I'll give you the floor, but I think it's a different takeaway from this. Benzema, the best player in the world right now. Well, I know I was giving you kind of a couple faces where I was like, I mean, you said that originally, but in all honesty, in all honesty, yes, he is right now the currently the best player in the world. I think obviously we saw when Barcelona played against Real Madrid, the presence missed from Karim Benzema, completely different team. And what we saw against Chelsea was, especially what he did in Stanford Bridge, was absolutely the header he scored the hat trick. He scored, he scored back-to-back hat tricks. It's the first time someone's done that. Only three players have done that. Lewandowski, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Lille Messi. He's part of that. He has 11 goals in Champions League. Excuse me, not I think 12 now. And he's also the, he's the most goals in La Liga right now. Most assists. He's just a different player right now. He's a different, he's at a different level. And I think one of the big stories in all on this has been is he right now has more goals than both, obviously more than, than Cristiano Ronaldo since Ronaldo's left. I think that kind of we talked about that before. He's a completely different player. He's completely evolved. He's better at this point right now in his career than he was in his 20s. I know he was playing with Cristiano Ronaldo, but that still doesn't. I mean, that still doesn't stop him from being Kareem Benzema. He's just a completely different player. And I think that there should be a story about, maybe someone will make it, about how he's evolved, changed it. He's a better player right now than he was in his 20s. And I think that's pretty insane to say that because Messi and Ronaldo at 34 were not him, not Kareem Benzema. So I think that's kind of the big story with Kareem Benzema. He's just been terrific. And I have to agree with you. But, but in this game particularly, I got to go off on the referees for not getting the red card, a double yellow card on Calvaringa's foul on Sevilla. That was a red card. That's a double yellow card. He should have been sent off. I don't know how that was not a yellow card. Changed the game completely. And obviously, it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that Sevilla lost. But that is an example of why in my kind of my, uh, I, I would say just my mentality and the way I look at things in Spanish football, that ways that I think, you know, Barcelona uh, are get three penalties against them. And on the other side, Ramjit get uh, three penalties rewarded to them. Gives me a little speculation of what's going on with the referees. So, but I'll leave that to, to, to our listeners. Maybe you guys you, could come up with a um, two plus two plus two and figure out what's the, the final answer because I'm just a little spectacle of some of these referee decisions, right? Do you think it was because it was that midfield or like around midfield? Like, if do you think if he was genuinely deeper within that Real Madrid, because it was Martial. So, you think if Martial was 
deeper in the Real Madrid half, it would have been a yellow. That, that's yellow. a yellow card regardless. I'm a, I've been a referee. That's a yellow. That's a yellow. Oh, I know. There's I have no too. reason why that's not a yellow card at a minimum. That that that's not that's. A, Ben, did you see that? Come on. No, I did. Oh, so okay. I, I agree with Yellow. I'm just saying, I'm trying to figure out what his mindset was because he called a foul, but he yes. didn't call he didn't get any card. So I'm trying to figure out the only thing I can think of is was he because he was around half. Yeah. Was that the main reason he didn't get a uh a card? And then if I'm not, I don't even remember what minute it was in. It was I don't know what minute it was. Yeah. Referees nowadays where they're very less inclined to impact a game. Right. Uh, where I can't even remember the last game we were watching. Was it the was it the City game where they pulled back a uh, City-Liverpool? I think it was the City-Liverpool Premier League game where City didn't get a goal because they, like the ref just didn't want to make the call to, to really change the game. Where It's just a big thing, a big talking point in ref <laughs> is that they have the systems like VAR to fix their errors, but they still don't want to do it if it's a close game crazy to me i'm just saying our listeners who all everybody who's listening today and i hope everybody you know eventually when when we have this release and we have this pod release i i just want to ask the question i just want you to kind of connect the dots here right (laughs) now some of these decisions i just want you to really think about it okay and then we saw the same thing happen against chelsea that first goal for me uh from alonzo that's a goal that's a goal. That's the goal. That was the goal I was talking about. That's a goal. That, that's a about. goal. Yeah. And for me, I'm just like, are they? And I had to put it in my text message in my group chat, or so, I have a soccer group chat, and I put it out there. I'm like, does 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 the UEFA want Real Madrid to kind of stay in Champions League? Because because Chelsea, that was when Chelsea scored the third and originally before, obviously to get the other third. But man, oh man, I'm just listen. Anybody that are listening right now, I hope you just. Connect the dots, and if you have a conclusion, you could definitely follow us up. And and I love to hear some feedback on well, it's, it's, some of the decisions from referees with Real Madrid. I'm just pointing it out. The the Real Madrid, the ham, the Alonzo one. I I that's the one I was talking about. Yeah. Immediate. Everyone was like, "Oh, that's a really good goal." And I I looked, and it hit like around his hand. I was like, "They're gonna call it back because it's such a close game." It's the only reason they called it back. And I knew that. And immediately when they went to VR, I was like, it's not going to get called. Like, it's too close right now. So something's got to be changed. Something has to be changed. <laughs> Listen, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just pointing it out. I mean, Real Madrid referee, VAR, something connected there. I don't know. But oh, and in all honesty, in all honesty, I will also say this. The mentality of this Real Madrid team, I think, is, I mean, historically, they've always been a team that, you know, had come back in legs. We saw them with the Sergio Ramos header in the final and kind of what they do historically. I think they're obviously they're known for a team to make comebacks, but to do that in back-to-back legs to, you know, in that first half against Chelsea to play as bad as they did and then come back, you know, you know, any team scored that third goal, you know, and then you're losing the leg would give up. But Ravenger kept coming. They kept fighting. We saw that pass from low Modric, who again is just playing ageless to Rodrigo to tie it to tie to basically force it to overtime or extra time, excuse me, changed everything. And we saw it yet again in that second half against Sevilla. They just keep coming. And I think that's kind of where this team, Real Madrid team has to deserve credit. Ancelotti and all their players just deserves a, a boatload of credit because this team does not give up. And I think 
I think puts a fear on any team that they play looking, moving forward because, you know, you could be down two, three, nothing. They will come. They will make sure they continue to play and they will believe they believe they can come back against anybody. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Barcelona. Uh, well, before we get into Barcelona, I do want to say Atletico Madrid also gained ground, but they, yeah, I mean, they, they, we got a, another controversial win and they get a victory. Um, but they were also eliminated in Champions League, Ben, with a lot of controversy as well with the way they went out. I mean, yeah, I want your reaction on this. Atletico Madrid, still time for top four, but the story of the week wasn't a, that game against Espanyol, but was the game in midweek against City. I was watching that whole game. I could not believe what was going on. I don't know what you, what you thought of, of those of that game. I'm going to, I have a mic right here. I'm going to take the mic. Here. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll breeze through this because you have to get to the Barcelona stuff. But yeah, when the Atletico Madrid president comes out and says they have a wall in front of the goal, I don't know, from a team that primarily parks the bus and likes to play that very defensive style, and you're complaining that a team does that against you. I don't know, man. It's just, it's kind of getting a bite. It tastes your own medicine here, but not. Nah, I, City didn't have their best game. I mean, there's no denying it. They didn't play it at their best. Atletico did a really good job of closing them down um, and making it very difficult. But when you go in and you completely get bamboozled by how a team's playing, how they just don't normally play, and you you work them well and you just can't score, like, it screws with your head. And we saw this against Espanyol, or took them to the, what is it, the 100th minute for yeah. Carrasco to score? Like, so it, it definitely, like you said, it definitely had some some impact on their game. Uh, absolutely. And all I'm going to say sometimes that, you know, I think what we also see from Cholo Simeone, I think it's something that uh, I think the question of the way his tactics, the way he likes to play, I think we saw an exposure of sometimes, you know, you could play a certain way and, you know, as, as against some of these best teams, Yes, they won La Liga. Yes, they got to a couple Champions League final. But if, again, we talked about if you don't evolve and you want to stick to your formula, if it was a bad look against City, that yet again, obviously, they're in the front foot, but still struggling to win games. I think right now a question has to be made of – I honestly would say I think if Lidl Madrid – want to make a manager move. I don't think it's a wrong time because they have one of their best, they have one of the best, I think squads and you look at talent wise. Yeah. But who would you go out? I think think he has a lot of control there. So if you could really quickly check out one name, you would like to see if they potentially did get rid of him, who would you want to bring in? Pochettino. I don't like Poch. I, I just don't like Poch. I think if Atletico Madrid let go, I think Pochettino will be a perfect manager. I think he's always said he wants to coach, not he said Real Madrid, but he gets to coach Madrid and he has a pretty good squad. And he also, I mean, he's not going to spend as much, but I think he has a talent there and he could spend a a decent amount of what he wants compared to what he did in Spurs. So, and he may have some control as well. So I think that was an option, but I don't think any time Cholo Simeone is going to leave. 
I'll I'll give one name and then we'll move on. Sean Dyche is on the trend is is in the market. If you're looking for, <laughs> oh my goodness, I actually that you know it's so funny that actually is not a bad. Oh my goodness, it's not because he's similar to their play style. So I, I yeah, be wow, yeah, I can't. That's a funny name. That that is a what a name. All right, that that that's a win right now for you. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Barcelona Cadiz. That game is going to be played later today. We're recording right now. It's 150, so the game after this will probably be over, but we're going to give you the starting lineup. Um, just came out for Barcelona. Uh, Marc-Andre Tristegan, Sergio oh, Dest- wanna? Oh, go ahead. Do, do you want to – I have a prediction before the lineup, before you tell okay, me. Okay, go ahead. I've actually, I've oh, actually written that. Oh, oh, oh. Go so ahead, I, I tried because I knew we were filming this around this time, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to give a crack at it. Plus, I know you can absolutely criticize all my picks because right, you're go ahead. a bigger Barca fan. So I had Mark Andre Stegen, uh, Jordi Alba, and then I've gone, I've gone Serginho Dest because he's he is back. He could you had him originally. Him. I think I might have spoiled the name. But. No, I have him. You can kind of see it right there. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, uh, and then I've gone Garcia and Mingueza at the center backs because I don't like uh, Linglet. <laughs> okay, and I know Arroyo's out. Uh, Busquets. And Gavi in the midfield. And then I'm going to save my other midfield spot till the end. Uh, and then I've gone Dembele, Aubameyang, and Fernand Torres across the front. And because Pedri is out for a little while, I've gone with Ricky Puj in the midfield. <laughs> the, the, the adventure of Ricky Puj continues here on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for all our listeners, and it's, it's follow us very, very in-depth. I mean, the adventure of Ricky Butch and the love of Ricky Butch continues to be <laughs> lived on here. So, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, well, you had three of the four correct for the starting uh, back four. The only name that wasn't on the starting lineup was uh, uh, Mingesa, and they played Linglet. But everything else yeah. we got right. Midfield-wise, outside of the name we talked about that I won't mention again, It'll be Busquets, Gabi, and Frankie De Jong. And basically, you had two of the three lights. But the yeah, one player that will know. start will be Memphis Depay, returning up front for the Barcelona line, Fernand Torres and Usman Dembele. So that is your Barcelona starting lineup. Ben, I mean, it, it, it's a good prediction. I mean, I think the Ricky Pooch was out of, uh, out of love right there. But, I mean, outside of everything else, I mean, <laughs> the Mingueso one just got me just my, my – if you saw my fish arrive, the main you get that name, I was like, whoa. But outside of that, <laughs> yeah. But previewing this game, though, I mean, Barcelona are out of Europa League. They probably – right now, the only focus is to make sure they get into Champions League football. And after that Real Madrid game against Sevilla, likelihood they are not going to win the league. Uh, I mean, if there was any game that would probably maybe give them a chance, was that Sevilla game? But I don't think that's going to happen. So likelihood is to get into a, a second place. So, I mean, what's the goal for Barcelona right now? And eventually we'll get into the Pedri, Pedri uh, replacement as well but i mean what's the goal for this team right now i don't even hey I, I love my metaphors here it's like when you've like you know like in like in middle school like when you graduate from eighth grade but like you have to go back for like those next few days like that's what's happening here <laughs> um, and I, I would say you want to give younger players minutes but like right 
that's already what they're doing. So really, it's just, can you win those two? If you win those two games in hand, you're almost guaranteed a Champions League spot. So I think it's just winning those last two games and then they have a lot of injuries. So as well as not trying to rush anyone back, because once they win those games, those other guys who are injured, let them sit for the rest of the season. Excuse me. (laughs) But there's like no... Xavi's doing everything right. He's getting the younger players involved. Like I said, he's competing well. So honestly, if I'm him, I don't know what like what else I'm supposed to do for the rest of the season. Because you're right, they're out of the Europa League. They're out of the title race. So unless they really want to push, but then again, it comes to, is someone else going to get hurt like Pedri went down? And you can't have that because especially for players who want to go into the World Cup at their sharpest, healthy in November, you got to limit what you do in these final games when not much matters first of all let's mention this before we get into frankfurt fans i mean incredible i mean i i watched i i'm i'm 23 right now i've watched barcelona games since i was five years old i've never ever seen a european game be controlled by away fans in any european game in a second leg in the camp, no. As I said previously, and I thought everything, everybody thought Barcelona was going to win because historically, Ben, once upon a time, when anybody came in second legs in the camp, no, Barcelona were absolutely, it was just known. They would beat yeah. anybody historically because they had the crowd with them, the way they played, just the atmosphere in the camp, no, was different. But in Frankfurt, those fans popped up. I mean, obviously there's an investigation going on, but this shouldn't happen because clearly, you know, there were socios that sold their tickets to whole, like, actually, I actually talked to someone in Barcelona and they'll, they haven't given me information yet, but I mean, it's a whole story of how the socios went on vacation. So they sold their tickets and then the Frankfurt fans got the tickets. And so they brought more than like 30,000 fans, as you saw, like kind of the atmosphere, it was an insane, but to lose to that team and the way that Camp Nou was, was absolutely insane. And so, you know, it, it was incredible. So, you know, that yes, they lost. They didn't play well, obviously, for, for that game. I mean, it wasn't like a Ronald Koeman loss. Um, yes, they got counterattacked. They got beat. I mean, but they had plenty of chances. Aubameyang didn't get – had a couple of opportunities, didn't score. But that's why we don't see him in the starting 11. But – in this game particularly, and we'll get into kind of uh, the Pedri replacement because I think that's kind of interesting to get to is I think for the rest of the season, right now, obviously, to make sure everybody's healthy. And I think you can give rotations more than ever, as we saw Linglet now and Eric Garcia. I think, by the way, Eric Garcia, I have also given up on. I don't think he will ever be a world-class Whoa. defender. I don't think oh, shot to the heart. I mean the game that him, I mean the foul that he did the penalty. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like you're kind of sh- like he's done this previously as well. And and so I I'm getting to what there's a reason why they got um Christensen coming in as well. Eric Garcia, I potentially he has it to to be a world-class defender as a passer. But as a defender, yeah, still question marks there. But, I, I mean, Barcelona, they still have a lot of questions to be made. They have a lot of off-season questions to be made of what they're going to do with the forward position. I think that's still a priority. Aubameyang, yes, is good. But in the big games, in the big moments, 
Is he really there? Um, as we saw against Frankfurt in the camp, no, that was not an answer. We saw we did in the classical, but that was Kareem, no, Kareem Benzema, as we noticed now, because it's changed, the tables have turned. But yes, uh, I think Barcelona have a lot to do still, and, and we'll see if Xavi can continue his momentum. But they have clearly lost their form to what they were previously to the international yeah. break. And we saw that against Frankfurt, and the fans completely turned the tables as well. But I want to ask you, Ben, Pedri, yes. you know, he was a player that we've, I think, been talking about everywhere. And, you know, I've talked about him and I still believe he's the best midfielder in the world. That's just my opinion. He's out. Who do you yeah. think will replace him in the next eight games? So left for Barcelona. Okay. In all seriousness, like I'm, I have full serious face. Yes. Yes. Like we talked about, they have nothing to play for. Give Ricky Push some minutes. Give him some minutes. Let the man play. You're, you're, and, but you're really serious, though. Really? No, I am. Okay, okay. This is because the, they have. I mean, what do they have? Six, eight games left. Mm-hmm. He's not going to play today. Uh, well, is he on the? I'm sorry, let me look really quick. Is he on the bench? Uh, he's on the bench. Jeffrey. Okay, he's uh, on yes. the bench. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's sitting on the bench. Um, as per usual. But so seven full games left. Nothing to play for. Throw the man in. If he doesn't do good, then sell him. But you have seven competitive <laughs> games to test and see if he can actually do something. I'm not saying he's going to. Look, just, just give him some time. Let him play. You know, Let him see how it goes. Or you could honestly go a more traditional thing, and you could kind of play a 4-4-2, which I know they won't do. Yeah. Um, and you could uh, – oh, Nico actually just got added to the bench, supposedly, from my, what my phone is telling me. Yeah. I don't think that's true. Uh, he's on the bench. You could – you could throw in the likes of Martin Braithwaite and kind of play a 4-4-2 where you have Depay or Aubameyang play alongside of him, giving Braithwaite some minutes because Braithwaite will be a crucial player for Barcelona. Not a, not a superstar, but he will be a crucial player down the road, especially with how little salary he's on. Like, give him some minutes to come back from that big injury that he had. So those are my two options. One traditional, one, it should happen. Give the man some minutes, but... Uh, I think those are two decent options. Very left field options, though. I, I actually would go, you know, I know you said Ricky Butch on seriousness, even though I kind of couldn't take you seriously. But on all seriousness, I think Nico Gonzalez is a, just a quite interesting. He's completely lost his form. I think that's okay, though. I mean, he's a young player. This is his first year with the first team. Um, obviously, it's different development for every player. And I think he's a player, you know, we saw moments, especially, you know, early on in Chavi's reign that he was playing. He was playing really well. And I thought to myself, I'm like, well, Okay, Nico Gonzalez has some style. He signed a new contract, and and now he's going to switch agents. I've I've been told. So this potentially he could make a way if he, if he got, doesn't get enough minutes, he might make a move away from the camp. No, so I want to see more Nico Gonzalez. Um, now that Pedri is injured, I think he's a player that when you know when Pedri was out originally, he actually was playing more of those minutes. But um, Gabi's really played well, and so I think at the moment. Nico Gonzalez will be a player that uh, that I look out for. By the way, let me also say this, and I was actually doing some scouting and I was watching some film on Pablo Torre. I don't know if you remember him. He signed for Barcelona from um, uh, Racing, Santander. Okay. I don't know if the team, the second, it's a third division team in Spain. They signed him. He's one of those top players. He's 18 years old. He basically, you know, he's quoted as being the next Pedri. I've watched him film on him. He's going to be part of the first team. I think likelihood next season player to watch. 
I'm just pointing out, I see a lot of film on him. Player to watch. Mark my words, he will be a player. I think this, I don't think they need to get any more midfielders because I think, I think he's probably, I think he's a better free kicker than Pedri. He's probably a better, he's a much more of a, of, of a long distance passer. He might be, he reminds me of Cesc Fabregas in ways. Okay. And so he's a little smaller, but he has a little Cesc Fabregas in, in ways that I, I, I would compare him to, but a player to watch um, for next season. I'm just going to put that out there. But on, on this game, I think also Barcelona, I think we saw some forms that have dipped. You know, Fernand Torres didn't play well. I think Usman Dembele was trying. I mean, he was trying all his best. But we also see as, again, he's not that player. And I think also a player we have to also talk about is they didn't have Messi. And sometimes in those type of games and those type of atmospheres against Frankfurt and in, in these games, you need to have a player like that. And clearly Barcelona, when nobody performed well, that's what happens. But for, for Pedri's replacement, I think Nico Gonzalez will be there. But uh, unfortunate for Pedri. But, you know, as we saw, there's really nothing left for the season. So it's not like we should push him for anything. It's like six to eight weeks, according to what reports have been out for his injury. So, but they have Gabi, who hopefully signs his new contract. I think Barcelona needs still additions part of their team. But um, Sergio does getting some minutes, so um, I'm looking forward to that as well. <laughs> yeah, should be good. That's going to be, be quite interesting. But what, by the way, one more thing uh, before we move on is I will say one, one more thing as well. Gerard Piquet, also the presence of Gerard Piquet being injured did not help because before he get, he got injured, he actually was in really good form and could have changed yeah. the game what happened in the camp. No, who knows? But I, I think the presence of him not being there is kind of showing also what Barcelona need to, to improve on. I agree. I agree. All right. So let's move on when we come back again to Serie A and some other storylines happening in the world of football. We'll get into that right after this. Coming back. Ben came, Marvin Regueta. Let's get into some MLS, Ben. Uh, we're both going to present some stories about the weekend. I know you have one to talk about. I have mine to talk about. Let's first start with you, Ben. What is your big story of this weekend in MLS? I'm going to go two because one's really small. Um, seven games, six points. The story of NYCFC, a champion has fallen. However, Castellanos, one of the best players in the MLS, scores four goals this weekend. And it was just like child's play. Yeah. So that's my big story of the game where he's, he just like, he was like a kid out there. Like, obviously, there's a lot of mistakes, especially I think it was a goalkeeper clearance where he just pushed into an open net. But <laughs> that's one big story. The other one has to be the New England Revolution have won a game. They almost threw it away in the dying minutes. But they won two to one. Justin Rennix, a player who has been in and out of the youth U.S. national team, finally getting some time for the Revs, finally showing what he's about. He's been tipped to like this, like forward, but then they've thrown him out in the wing and him crossing balls into Adam Buxo was just incredible to watch. Omar Gonzalez, not the player he was, should not even be in an MLS team. He should be in the USL League, too, playing in the summers. Um, but it was just really interesting to watch that game. Um, the one big news that came out of that game, though, was Adam Buxa is getting recruited by Besiktas. Um, 
I, I don't even know what to say about that. My heart sank. Uh, but he, the Poland national team coach was in Gillette stadium watching. So that's pretty, I don't know. Those are, those are my big takeaways from the weekend. Revs won and Victor Castellanos four goals. I'll probably have my biggest story for me. I would go with Mateus Almeida is out as the manager for the San Jose earthquakes. I think this was coming from the last couple of, I would say months. Almeida has been critical of of the of the earthquake not spending, you know he's he's been really good, solid with uh, the earthquake for the last couple of seasons. They made the playoffs a couple of times. He's actually one of the, I would say he's really changed kind of the fortunes of the earthquake because historically the earthquake has just been awful, and yeah. now we see now the results are not happening. Now the San Jose earthquake are winless in their last. Well, they haven't won in their last seven games, making it. The only team in MLS without a win. And so you saw it coming. The manager's not getting along with the front office. The manager's also not performing. He's talked about kind of what he wanted and he hasn't got. And now we're in a point where a source told ESPN that Ameda was basically after the 4-3 loss against Houston was done as the manager, but uh, didn't come out. So, it's weird because Ameda, you know, if people know him from from the Mets, from Mexico, he was a great manager in Chivas where he won the league title there, um, you know, comes in. And I thought he would be actually a pretty good manager, but and he started off doing that. I think he's brought in. But if he's, he's historically Ameda has been a manager, has always wanted more. He's a manager, I think, has some Antonio Conte in him where he wants to spend when he asks for more. And sometimes, as we see with some of these smaller franchises, they do not want to spend at all. So I saw this coming. A lot of people saw this coming. And Ameda, I mean, it's unfortunate because now his team's not performing, is now out as the manager. But I think in his mind, he's brought a relief in making sure he gets paid. So, I mean, it's both ways for Ameda and the earthquake. It's a long, it's a long history. He's been there since 2008 i mean he's 2018 his record is 31 and 42 and 25 so i mean he he is in three plus seasons hasn't been horrible but yet still i don't think has earned the cliche to make sure he gets some of the signings that he wants so it's a both party ways and i think ameda and the earthquake um uh, parting ways is the best decision and by the way names coming up for his replacement includes El Salvador's manager, Hugo Perez, who obviously used to be the coach as well for the the U-20s for the USA. So I would not like that for El Salvadorian me. I would not like that as well. But, uh, yeah, that's my story. I mean, an incredible story of of, of Meta and the earthquake kind of parting ways now. So that is our MLS stories of the weekend. When we come back, uh, let's – or actually, let's let's stick in and focus – on let's get into some Serie A because I think it's quite fascinating to focus on Juventus who I would say Ben have had quite an interesting season now post Ronaldo and kind of rebuilding and you know they tied yet another game and kind of out of the race I mean Juventus a team that won nine straight titles league titles and i think people will look back to it and saying this was something that we probably will never see again you get uh 
it's a long time since we've seen a very good Juventus team. And I guess my question to you is, um, is Juventus kind of being the next Milan or one of these teams that once upon a time was so high and now it's so low? Yes, and they know it. And the biggest reason that they know it is they've brought him back, Massimiliano Allegri, a manager who was in that time period. He was one of the managers that just kept pushing them to do this, and they were tipped at the top. And now there's just like, like gone in the days when I could watch like Pirlo and Marquisio play in the midfield for uh, Juventus. And it's just like, I'm going to go watch Rabio and Weston McKinney play. Like, that's not what I want to do. There's just no. And Valovich. Valovich is a good one too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess he's not the big name, but I guess, yes, I understand. I mean, I think Chiesa would be the big name if he was fit. Yes. Um, But there's just no excitement. And then you look at their back line and you have Chiellini and Benucci playing alongside a young leader in Matthias Delix. So it's a squad that won't give up on what they've done before. They clearly can't give up the fact that they are not what they once were. And they still have these players and they've brought back the manager trying to push them back. But there's a massive overhaul that needs to be done to get them back. And they're they're not going to get back to that level ever. Um, but where they are right now isn't where they think they are. They are a lot lower than where how high they project themselves. Yes, I absolutely agree with you. I think they will never reach that level again, at least domestically in winning nine straight Skeletos. That's probably impossible, and I think we'll never see something like that again. And I think also they, they, they're, they're, I would say, lacking identity. And what I mean by that is, yes, the formula was – I think what they brought back um, Allegri was to bring back an identity that they once had and that was working, but clearly that was once upon a time, four or five years ago. Now the game has changed. Um, and also the players have changed and the players have gotten older. Like Cellini, Berucci, you know, some of these players are, are still at the club and, you know, once upon a time, they had Anturo Vidal. They had a very, very young Pog Pogba. And, you know, Carlos Tevez. They had a very talented team. And Vidal, now Vidal as well. Yeah. I mean, Vidal was another one as well. And now it's just, again, they're rebuilding. And I think kind of the way Barcelona is kind of doing, the way kind of we're starting to see with Manchester United, who is still rebuilding, <laughs> mind you. And, Sometimes it's kind of those transition periods. So we saw that with AC Milan. AC Milan, again, for people, were one of my favorite teams to watch growing up. I remember that 2007 final when they beat Liverpool uh, from the goal from Inzaghi and, you know, Kaká and Pirlo and, and that amazing squad that they had. And then four or five years later, they completely are just – out of the world, they the spending, they had issues with their ownership. It was a whole mess. Uh, and now we see at AC Milan, first place, kind of back, kind of rebuilding and kind of looking like a very solid team yet again. So I think Juventus are kind of going into that path, but I think they'll get back to it because I think they have talent still. Uh, and I think their brand is pretty big to what Milan is, at least right now. I think Milan, if they were having this success in the early 2010s, they would be a bigger brand. But Juventus, what Ronaldo brought was a bigger brand. And I so I think they'll be back. 
it'll be a couple of years, but I think the, the worrisome is can they get into Champions League football? That's, that's priority, making sure to get into Champions League football for me more than anything else. So we'll find out. But I think it's going it's a, it's to be a transition period, and I think even Allegri may not be there for that period as well. All right. When we come back, we'll get into our trivia, football. Who? Ben got some names. I have some questions. We come back. We'll get into that here on the Final Whistle Podcast. Coming back, final segment. I've been waiting for this. I had my questions for about two weeks. I've been ill, so we couldn't have our podcast and we couldn't have our questions being named. So, Ben, we're going to go rapid fire between you and me. So, Let's first start out for, well, let, yeah, let's, yeah, you go start. You give me uh, the lineup, what team I have to predict and start in 11. And, I'll, and in between that, I'll give you some of the questions that uh, will kind of, you will not answer. So let's begin. Let's go. So what do you have today for so, me today? It is one of the most classic English Premier League games. English Premier League has been around 20 something years, not too, mm. too long. Um, one of the most classic games of all time. I know exactly where I was watching it. I could have been a jerk. I could have given you the side that lost eight to two on the day, but I didn't. I decided to give you the winning side, which I think I genuinely genuinely think you'll be able to get. So I've gone with Arsenal versus Man United, a game that took place August 2011. Um, so Man United played in their traditional 4-4-2 as they did so often during this time period. So I'll give you. Goalkeeper and four defenders. So I'm going Manchester United, correct? Yeah, Manchester United. Okay. 2011? 2011. What, uh, no, 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 what month was it? August, August. August of 2011. August, uh, okay. August 28th to be exact. Okay. Four. In goal was David De Gea. Okay. Is that correct? Yeah, you're right. Okay, okay. All right. Ooh, all right. Let's get into the four. Ooh, it's going to be rough. Uh, I'm going to go with Raphael. I'm going to go, or or I'm going to give, I'm going to give, yeah, I'm going to go, yeah. Yeah, give me the four. Give me the four. four. I'm going to go Raphael, Vidic, Bernard, Patrice Evra. Okay. So you've gotten one right. So you've gotten Evra, but then a young Phil Jones, who I'm assuming I don't have the I have the the roster, but from from what I can remember, he would have been a right back at this point. Okay. And then in the center back pairing, Chris Smalling and Johnny Evans. This is why they lost. Yeah, Johnny Evans. Real Ferdinand was on the bench. Uh, Vintage, I think, was. I'm assuming was injured. So you've gotten one right. Rafael, wow. not even in the 18. Fabio was in the 18, but he was an unused sub in this game. So you've got that one is right. funny. Okay. <laughs> uh, now I know why I didn't get that right. But okay. Wow. <laughs> that lineup is. Uh, uh, <laughs> that is funny. All right. Well. All right. I got one out of the. Well, two out of the five, right? Oh, got two, the goalie, two. right? So, all right. Um, yeah, I'll try to improve that. All right. Now to your question. Let's get let's get into this. In 2000, May of 2014, Liverpool were in a must-win game in the title race, and they had to go at Crystal Palace, which the game Dem-ba-ba. ended. Dem-ba-ba. 
Is it Dumbaba? Is that the answer? No, 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 wait. They had to play at Crystal Palace, which ended the game 3-3. Liverpool were up 3-0 in the first half. Which Crystal Palace player scored the third goal to end the game 3-3? It was not Dumbaba. I don't know why I was thinking the slip. He obviously <laughs> no, I know. He came with his instinct. Yes, go ahead. Um... Oh my God, who played? Who would have been up top for them is the question. It's not like Connor Wickham. I think Connor Wickham was. This, yeah, so this is 2014. Uh, I will give you a hint. He's an English player. Okay. Um, was it? I can't even think. I, ha- I know who it is. It's just like trying to. Oh my god, no, it's on like the tip of my tongue. Thank you. You probably could get this. I believe in you. I believe no, this you. one I definitely, because I remember watching this game. Oh my god. Was it? It's the. It's literally the striker before Connor Wickham. Was it? No, it's not Marion Shamak. That's, I think, what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, I love that name too. <laughs> okay, people, people loving people know. <laughs> Who is it? I'm going to give myself like 30 more seconds. I don't know. All right. I can see it after that. You got this. English striker. It's someone weird. He's small. How about that? I'll give you a little hint. Was it Townsend? Is that your final answer? I'll go, I'll go Townsend. Dwight Gale. Oh no! I like genuinely. I was. I like. I knew it because I because I was thinking like oranges, blonde hair. Like I knew it was him. I. And then he had a he had a stinker for the rest of his career. I mean, he's a player <laughs> that I think has scored some big goals and some weird moments. But yes, in the championship, in the championship, yes, yes. Premier League stage, um, absolutely. I, all right, I'll make myself feel better. The four midfielders <laughs> for Manchester United. <laughs> Eight two, man, two thousand eleven. Uh, I'm gonna go Ryan Giggs. Okay. I'm gonna go with Antonio Valencia. Okay. In the midfield, I'm gonna go with Carrick and Fletcher. Yes, yes, you've got none right. None? Yeah, so they've gone Nani, Tom Cleverly. Here, here's a name, Anderson. If you remember him with the oh dreads. Oh my, he was. Oh my goodness, wow. And then Ashley Young scored two goals. Giggs came on. Um, no Fletcher, no Carrick. And then the other name you didn't say either. So yeah, I said Fletcher. Yeah, wait, I said Valencia. Valencia, Valencia's not even. I don't even know if he was signed at that point. He's not on the bench. Oh my goodness! Wow, that was really bad. Well, that was that was probably one of my worst scores yet. So you know what? You got me, Ben. But I'll get you back. All right, Uh, all right. Here we go. We got to World Cup fever right here. The last time Italy was in the World Cup was 2014 in Brazil. And Italy were eliminated in the group stages. But who, the question is then, who scored Italy's last World Cup goal? Why do I want to say it was Balotelli? (laughs) (laughs) Do I think it, I'm gonna, Balotelli, Balotelli, Balotelli. I think it's Balotelli. You are correct. Yes, yes. (laughs) 
I knew it because he had the because he had the pink and orange. I didn't think you were gonna get that. Oh my goodness! Wow. The, the pink and orange, the pink and yellow Pumas that were mix matched. That's how I remember it. So that last goal was against England, and yep. so that's the last goal they scored since. Okay. All right, damn, I'm down to the last one. I've really struggled today. I think Ben has had the, my my upper hand today, but I can try to get him, though, this last question you, you will not get. I, I know you will not get. The final two strikers, yeah. who do we got? One you should get. Rooney yep. and Jimitoff Berbatov. Berbatov was an unused sub. Danny Welbeck, who I'm pretty sure was like 18 or 19. I mean, this is incredible. <laughs> he scored though. Can I can I just say kudos to Alex or Alex because I mean look at this team. Can you compare <laughs> this team back then to now? Like this is this is an insane team. Yeah, crazy. It's crazy. I mean Van Persie scored on the other end. Theo Walker. Oh, I had Robin Van Persie. Uh, Thomas Rosicki, Aaron Ramsey was there. Marwan Shamak did actually come in and play. Oh, there we go. Well, <laughs> well. All right, let's get to this last question. I, you will not get this right. I know this is my. This is why I leave the best for last. Okay. In the 2013 UEFA League quarterfinals, one of my uh, teams in Spain, Malaga, were up 2-1 against Borussia Dortmund with eight minutes to go. But Borussia Dortmund scored two goals in stoppage time and one of the great comebacks in knockout Champions League history. Who scored the game-winner goal for Borussia Dortmund? Oh, my God. Okay, it's either Chiro Mobile or that guy Ramos. It's one of the two of them, I think. This is 2014. This is 2013, mind you. I, I'm going to yeah, remember to give you the team. This is Marco Royce. This is Lewandowski. This is the team that went to the final. No, no. I'm going to go Blaschikovsky. I'm going to go Blaschikovsky. I'm going to go Blaschikovsky. Are you sure? I'm, I, you got yeah. time. You can think about this. No, no, no. Blaschikovsky. The answer is incorrect. The oh. answer is Felipe Santana, who scored the game-winner goal in the historic comeback at Malaga. It was I insane. I would have never guessed him. All right, Blaschikovsky just showed Santana. I knew you weren't going to get it. I'm, I remember this because I was watching this game. I was rooting for Malaga. I thought Malaga would get a win. I thought they were going to pull it off. This was the team. Now, now Malaga is kind of really disintegrated as a team. Yeah. but. They were going to advance. They're going to go to the semifinals. A Malaga team that, at the time, guess who was on the team? Isco, Joaquin. Yep. This was a team. Ruth Ransteroy was on that team as well. I mean, this is an insane Malaga team that actually were spending kind of older veteran players and had young players as well in the mix-in, and and that kind of led to that. But insane. Felipe Santana. I'll take it. That's You know what? Proportionally, I think I've come out on top here. I've gone 33%. If I can... You've gotten what three players right? I I, out of a lot. I was I've, really I've, bad today. I'll be honest. I've blown it out of the water. I I've got out water. three out of the eleven, so I had a bad talk. I mean, the fact you got Balotelli, I did not think you would get that. I thought you would overthink yourself, but got that. There we well, go. for everybody, we appreciate it. I mean, coming up, I mean, we have a lot to talk about still in the Premier League race. La Liga kind of looked like it is over, but we still have, obviously, storylines to get into there as Barcelona will play at 3 o'clock. We're right now recording still before the game, so we will not give you guys an analysis of that game. And then we'll continue to talk about kind of the World Cup and things coming up in that nature and, of course, MLS 
and much more here on the final whistle podcast. Ben, any last words? Hey, I, I won football. Hope. I'll end it there. <laughs> okay. All right. You got me. But come back next week. Watch out. Watch out. Because my questions might go a little, little deeper. We'll see you guys again. Thank you for listening in. And everybody have a fantastic, fantastic week.